0: Good evening and welcome to let 's talk cricket on three valleys Radio and myself here George Marshall James back for another week back for another chat about the world cup uh t twenty that's been happening over in Australia and delighted to be joined by not just on a not just on a Tuesday night for his football commentary fantastic excellence analysis. But, of course, on a Wednesday as well. So, three Values listeners, you're getting two for the price of one this week. Matt's working a bit of overtime for us on the station. And he's here to chat all things cricket in a mat- in a matching blue jumper, may I add, in our in overall chat this evening. Good evening, mate. How are you?
1: I'm very good, George. How are
0: you? Oh, I'm delighted, thank you. After our after our almost quite damp um, stay last night in Woking, we've managed to find, find a nice warm place to chat about cricket tonight, wouldn't you say?
1: We have. Did you manage to have your cup of tea before bed?
0: I did manage to have my cup of tea before bed. Yeah, thank you. And a couple of custard creams. <laughs> I'm just, gut- just a bit gutted. Um, we didn't get any later. We could have. I could have um, watched a bit of the cricket, I suppose, but was not starting till four or five in the morning. I think that's been the only disappointing thing, hasn't it? In fact, this World T20. It's just been the timings of when they've been on, and it's all from that perspective where um, we've kind of really missed out on perhaps some of the good performances. The uh, lady that at school reception um, Maddy came up to me at lunchtime today as I was tuning up for my roast dinner and sort of said, oh, did you catch any of the cricket last day? Did you catch any of that cricket yesterday? And I went, oh yeah, I did. But obviously I've got to be really careful because obviously I'm I'm doing a job. I can't necessarily, like if I was similar in the office, in a way, I can't necessarily listen to it on Test Match specials and teaching. So it's been quite difficult really to keep track of all the games and going from there. How have you found it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a different one to usual, hasn't it? And I think that the fact that there's Australia is such a vast country and different time zones out there. It's actually difficult to keep track of where the games are actually taking place. So usually, you know, in, in terms of the Football World Cup, etc., there'll be three sort of kickoff times throughout the tournament. But with this 2020 World Cup, they just seem to be kicking off or, or you know, or starting at such random times. It's actually difficult to keep track. One minute is nine o'clock, the next minute it's 12 o'clock there's been some four o'clock games and, then, and an eight o'clock game obviously depending on where they are in the country so um I've been obviously relying on my app quite a lot um but yeah no it, it's quite nice in a way to if you've got a bit of time just to sort of wake up and um you know I usually wake up and have a little read of of BBC sport in the mornings and it's been quite nice to actually have a lot of cricket focus and uh particularly the Sky website's been very good in terms of the highlights and things. So I've actually, in some ways, enjoyed having it on first thing in the morning. But like you say, some of those uh, crucial crunch games are a bit tricky when we're uh, off to work and uh, the children aren't necessarily as interested in it as I would like, George.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do, I'll be honest with you, the one thing I do enjoy is I'm slowly trying to get my tutor group into cricket and they've uh, regularly tried to put the highlights on in tutor time rather than rather than playing uh, playing the football highlights, of course, as we might try and do now and again. I've tried to get them into cricket. And in particularly, I did show them uh, Josh Butler's fantastic knock the other day against New Zealand, a quite important knock. And a 100th T20 international, in fact. And obviously, then that, that knock itself made him now England's all-time leading T20 run scorer, which is very good. But obviously, we're going to come on to a bit more detail about that game in itself. But something I really want to touch on, really, is... Has this sort of time, this sort of the month of we're playing cricket in Australia, would you say it's been the right call? Because there's been lots of discussion over social media to suggest that maybe actually the best time to play this World Cup may have been in January, or February.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good debate, isn't it? And I think when we historically think about watching cricket in Australia, obviously with our the Ashes series, etc., a lot of that does happen. Uh, late late November and then obviously through Christmas into January and I can't remember too many series that have been affected by rain and it just seems a bit of an, an anomaly so to speak that obviously we, we've we had a, a bit of a rain affected World Cup it just shows that maybe a month's difference does actually uh, impact quite a lot uh, I don't know why it's been scheduled at this point I'm sure there will be a reason for it Um but yeah, just in such a short format, and again, we spoke about you know not having loads of teams in that World Cup. It just seems that it has been a bit of a shame uh, that it has been impacted by the rain, and obviously England got caught out um, against Ireland. But I guess I guess that adds to the drama of it slightly. Um, but yeah, obviously when you when you sort out a, a major competition in a sport that is predominantly dominated by the weather, you don't you don't want to. See games lost to rain, and you know, looking down the table at, at the the Super Twelves, it's only Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and Netherlands that haven't actually had a rain affected game where it's been completely washed out. Um, and I just think, realistically, one of England or, or Australia are probably going to miss out, and that game that ended up getting called off between them is, is going to be vital, you know, and, and to. It's just a bit of a shame. Um unless England get through. <laughs> it's a bit of a shame that um that's that's what it came down to.
0: Yeah, and I think that's ultimately the problem, isn't it? Because as much as I know T twenty is perhaps the way we discussed it quite heavily last week's show, didn't we? About T twenty is perhaps the way into getting a lot of people into cricket, a bit more engaged thinking about cricket from that perspective. But when you're when you're when you're seeing teams like Afghanistan that have only played two actual games the other two, they've not even they've been completely washed out. How's that? How's that fair in a, in a, in a competition like this? Of course, in a five-day test match, if one day's washed out, okay, you've then got four other days, you know, to to still play that game, to make that impact. But a T20 match like this, it's just it's just a little bit disappointing, ultimately, I would say, because we've not really, I suppose, seen player teams and players really be able to shine like the perhaps might have done in, like, for example, the last T20 World Cup that we saw. I know there's been some good moments and I'm sure we're gonna get on to that a bit bit later. But I just think it just puts a dampener dampen on the on the sort of on the competition when we're trying to push it. It seems like as the ultimately the flagship competition as it's getting played every every couple of years opposed to any other competition. I just feel actually this is a little bit a little bit disappointing the way, as you've rightly mentioned, either England or Australia are gonna miss out. And ultimately that was the big game in group group one, which hasn't ultimately been played, has it?
1: No, and again, it's you know any game of cricket between England and Australia is always going to be fiercely contested, especially in a World Cup. And I think it had a, had a good sort of backstory to that one—the fact that England had already lost to Ireland, Australia had already lost to New Zealand. There was a lot riding on it, um, and obviously the fact that England had been in Australia already and and won two of the games, and and were looking very strong in the third one that got washed out. Um, beforehand so yeah it is, it is a shame that that has been obviously cancelled I don't mean uh, you had the conversation about you know reserve days and things like that and I, it's definitely been a conversation um, with my other cricket friends and I think like you say the, the idea is that you want to try and ultimately we want to try and grow the game as much as we can the ICC seems to think that 2020 is the way to do that um, and you know it's hard to to not agree with them um, and, yeah, it's just, is it another is it another case of cricket shooting themselves in the foot a little bit? You know, we've talked about it before in terms of test match cricket. Yeah, if one day gets lost to rain, you know, there are four other days. But how often do we go off for bad light um, in grounds where there are floodlights, you know, and, and things like that? And it, it would be such a shame for cricket to lose out on potential new lovers of the sport purely because it's it's shooting itself in the foot. And I I guess in such a vast country like Australia, where they're having to travel around to, you know, all these different venues to to try and get as much cricket um, played as possible, having those reserve days could potentially, you know, delay travel or, um, you know, we also spoke about ticketing um, and things like that. But, Obviously, I assume they're going to have a reserve day for the semi-final. They're going to have a reserve day for the final. Um, so how difficult would it be to, you know, do it, do it for every game? I know ticketing might be an issue, but it wouldn't be the first time that a game has been rolled over to the next day and, and tickets are available. Yeah, it's not ideal, but, you know, you're still going to get um, a really good percentage of people that would go to that that game, I'm sure. Um so yeah, it's just you do I do worry that the people making the decisions in cricket don't necessarily think about uh, growing the game as much as they do lining their pockets, so to speak.
0: I think this is oh, might be ultimately the issue. Again, I'm gonna play a bit of devil's advocate here with you. Like, why are we seeing all these teams traveling to all these different grounds? Surely they should be based at one ground or even two grounds. And and obviously, if the game is washed out, again, it, I, I, we've talked about it maybe with the fixtures, the lineup, the ticketing issue, obviously the media contracts, the amount of time players need to rest before the next game, etc. Et but surely an ideal world. We're looking for three hours of cricket to be able to be played. Surely you can fit that in on the next day. Surely the players would much rather play a game of cricket than a game to be, be washed out and gone from there. And I think, I know we've talked about um, rightly so, the ticketing talked about, you know, going from a perspective of the fan now surely they're gonna to want to see cricket being played and not and they're gonna get a refund. I guess that is it the financial factor that they're avoiding here? Because I think by getting getting teams, you know, to play one game in Melbourne and then travel to Perth or Tasmania or, or or Hobart, wherever they're wherever they're going to for these grounds, it's just I don't know, surely it should be based at two grounds and Oh, they are back-to-back games, aren't they? They're back, they are, they're playing the same stage back-to-back, surely. So surely if that seems they're not getting used because they're then going to Group 2. Group 1 can then still be played the next day if, if Group two's on the focus, surely.
1: Yeah, and it, again, uh, you know, by no means am I a, a major events organiser and uh, I guess there are reasons for it and you'd like to think that for such a, a cricket loving nation that the reason is that they've put them in different places to try and give as much exposure as possible. Like you say, that there's been games in Hobart, there's been games on the West Coast, out in Perth. Um but yeah, I do find it odd that they have got some double headers involved. And so again, you know, on um on Friday we've got ireland New Zealand um is the four AM game of obviously our time, and then Australia Afghanistan is a is after that at 8am. So, I mean, and my knowledge of the Australian grounds isn't the best, but Adelaide's not a huge stadium, you know, it's what, 30, 40,000. So I might correct me, but again, that's just showing that they're not necessarily looking to get as much money as possible. So I, again, I just don't understand the thinking behind it. I guess, if it was down to the Australian Cricket Board of where the games were being played, they're obviously going to want to try and spread it around the country as much as possible. But when your country is absolutely ginormous and you're relying on plane travel to and from, and like, and like you say, they're in two different groups. The qualifying could have been in some of the smaller areas that could have brought um, you know, cricket to those, to those people. And then obviously you have Group 1, like you say, based in sydney so to speak and you have group two based in melbourne you know it's, it's not difficult is it and like i say it'll be interesting to actually if, if we ever got the opportunity or you know if someone ever got the opportunity to come out and ask those questions to the actual organizers but in terms of you know where most of their money is going to come from it's going to come from sponsorship and from the broadcasters so you, you'd like to think that um you know sky and a Obviously, I can't remember the Australian Broadcast, off the top of my head, Channel 7 potentially, I think, but they're going to have a, a big say in it. But for so many games to be affected by the weather and even some of the games that were completed, such as England-Ireland, um, I just don't think there's a good enough system, scoring system in place for rain-affected games that are that short. Um so, yeah, so obviously everyone everyone is aiming towards a good World Cup. And I think the standard of cricket, um, there has been some good games and there have been some closer games. Um, but again, I just feel that maybe it's been tarnished slightly by the weather. And I know, obviously, they can't help that, but um, is is a little bit of luck involved. Um, but I don't know. I just, I just feel that, like you say, just... From the outside looking in, surely there was a better way. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's the, the perspective. And I think the interesting thing I want to pick up with you now is you sort of said for these shorter format games, the, the I'm assuming you're referring to the Duckworth Lewis system, isn't working for these shorter format games. So ultimately, was what, what is the point in, in even starting a game with the rain starting the T20 format if if you so what what would you say is wrong with, with the uh scoring system for a rain affected game, Matt? I
1: don't know. It's a it's a funny one. I just think that obviously it was it was bought in um and obviously we've got used to it growing up in the in the fifty over game and I just think in the fifty over game there's so much, you know, ebbs and flows and it's not as fast paced and you know you're not trying to score. I mean, it sounds it sounds funny out of context to say it, but I, w- I wouldn't say you're trying to score as many runs as quick as possible at all points in a 50-over game. You have those periods where um, if you've got a, you know, a, a very good bowler, you've got time to sort of see them off and then attack the others. My concern is that if there's ever a rain-effective game or you know that there's any weather around, 99% of the time the person who wins the toss will bowl first because they want to bat second and then they've only got that small target To aim for and we saw it in the the Zimbabwe um, South Africa game you know they knew it was a rain affected game Um, and again Zimbabwe had to sort of go out and knew they were batting for nine overs so they paced their innings for nine overs and then if there's more rain around then it can be shortened to five overs the The total changes, but again, if you the way you'd bat in five overs, the way compared to how you'd bat in nine overs is a completely different game. I know it's only four overs difference, but to me you're not gonna get bowled out in five overs, so you can just go absolutely teeing off and I know there's adjustments for the scores and stuff, but you know, how accurate are they? And I just feel like a rain affected game just and again just The England Ireland game just left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Obviously, it didn't help that England didn't win, and they probably didn't manage it as well as they could have done. Again, England were batting second at that point, but it's just again, if if sudden there's a there's a sudden downpour, um, and you weren't expecting it, and you're sort of pacing your innings how you want to pace it, it just it just doesn't wash very well with me, George. But again, is there is there a better way? There obviously isn't. Um, there's no obviously scientific way of other than the the Duckworth-Lewis Stern method I guess and it's just a bit of a shame isn't it no one really wants a rain affected cricket game but then again no one wants to to play and have a bit of rain and and it, it get washed out so I do understand it I do understand there is a need for it but I just don't really like it but then I'm quite old and grumpy George.
0: Yeah no of course but Again, sort of thinking about alternatives. Then, just trying to think of alternative options that could come into place. So I'm just trying to think now with these group fixtures, rather than walking away both sides with a single point. Is there is there another way? The in in sort of a cricket format, these players could win could win the points. Maybe I'm imagining all these big grounds have got indoor centre facilities. Could the game be transferred into like an indoor game? Perhaps could it ultimately turn into a bowl off? Perhaps at the stumps, could it turn into, you know, or even it's sent like a super over itself on the next morning? Like, are there not options where teams can, I know ultimately we're completely bringing the T20 game down. Obviously it's its shortest format. Mind you, we've now got the T10, we've now got the 100, so they a little bit inaccurate there at that point. But surely you'd rather see some form of competition than no competition at all to allow players to players and teams to win points rather than, a no result fixture because I suppose if you're gonna give someone a bowl-off, that's gonna be quite exciting. I remember I remember back in I think it was 2010, um, I think Somerset versus Lancashire the T twenty quarter final got rained off twice, and it resulted in a bowl-off, and obviously Somerset won the bowl off to then ultimately go to finals day. And I remember that being quite an exciting thing to watch. Almost um cricket's answer to a penalty shootout. Do you not think that's a possibility or is it again because it's not knockout cricket really it's more of the sort of group stage again that people are going to do that because I don't know if um in other sports what would they try and do to combat when a game's cancelled or is that is that bad ultimately
1: I don't don't get me wrong the system that is in place is by far the best system that there is available for cricket I just don't like it I just don't think you know it I just, it's just so so variable the way that it can change. I just don't think it's very fair for both sides. I think there's always one side that has the advantage. Um, in terms of bowl loss and things, yeah, they would be exciting. But then again, when, whenever we watch a penalty shootout um, in cricket, like I say, it would be the equivalent of that. There's always the comment of, oh, it's just a lottery, isn't it? And ultimately, is it down to skill or is it down to a little bit of luck? So, yeah, um, yeah, I, uh, obviously the Super over was introduced, wasn't it, as with, more for tied games and stuff. And uh, I haven't actually, if I'm honest, I haven't seen my, my fair share of those. And it, I, I just think they they are quite exciting. But then again, particularly the one in, the very famous one in the World Cup final, that added, added on another half an hour to the game or something. You know, it's just um, cricket will always have its ways of trying to gain a new audience and... Um, The the, the DLS method, yeah, okay, like I say, it's annoying because I don't like it. And normally, if I don't like something, I try and have a solution to it. But I don't think there is a better solution. Um, I just, like I say, I think the best way I can explain it is that if you know there's going to be a rain-affected game, someone's always going to have the advantage. And I just don't think that's very fair.
0: Yeah, and of course, obviously, the Tuckworth Lewis method came in originally to replace a another another change in the sort of all originally the rule about a rain affected game so that came in in the early 90s at that sort of point in time but we're not going to sort of move away from the weather i know because after recording season the weather's hitting the windows quite heavily with lots of rain going on so let's move away and sort of look at how england have got on so far in these early stages of the um world cup obviously when we were last on, we spoke about England playing quite well against Afghanistan. But you mentioned that perhaps they're a little bit slow in the run rate in particular. But the gig the big game that sort of took place and actually shocked quite a few um England supporters ultimately was the Irish game, wasn't it? And Ireland batted first. Let's be honest. They 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 took this game by uh by the by, by scruff of its neck, really, didn't they? With Andrew Barberney, uh, the captain of Ireland hitting sixty-two or forty-seven balls really leading that charge. Um, we then had Lorcan Tucker hitting 34 as well. And they really did put England under quite a bit of spot above her, one point being uh, when when Tucker went 103 for two. But I think England did battle back and battled back quite hard to bowl them out within 20 overs, 157 all out. Mark Wood again bowls some really good pace, three, uh, three for 34. Livingston, three for 17. Uh, Sam Curran, two for 31. He's particularly in this World Cup, becoming quite a good death bowler specialist in replace of Chris Jordan, who's not around the moment. But as you've already mentioned, Matt, um, obviously Butler went quite cheaply, so in the hills. Milan was going for 35 or 37 balls, really trying to stone the ship. But really, ultimately, it didn't really seem like there was much urgency. And it wasn't until the final, really final three balls, where we saw Livingston and Moan Alley trying to get a bit of momentum going. And ultimately, England ended up losing that um, game against Ireland due to Duckworth Lewis. They finished 105 for five. They lost by five runs. And obviously, we've talked about, in particular, quite a lot of detail, that maybe they should have been factors in the weather. But did you see England completely being outplayed with back ball and in the field in this game?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say outplayed. Obviously, they're going to be really disappointed in that result, and especially if... um, you know, they don't get the result they need against Sri Lanka. You know, they could still, it's unlikely, but they could still win against Sri Lanka and not go through. So, ultimately, if that does happen, it's, it's going to be that game against Ireland that is going to be their downfall. But, again, this is this is a good example of that. You know, if that rain didn't come, realistically, do we think England would have got over the line? Yeah, I imagine they probably would have done. Um, but, obviously, when they lost Butler and Hales and Early Doors, and obviously, that's the the place where then Milan comes in. So obviously we saw him come in at number eight against New Zealand. Obviously we'll talk about that later where we got off to a flyer. So it's quite a fluid lineup, but obviously if one of Butler or Hales is going to go early, Milan's going to find himself in at number three and his job is just to play proper cricket shots and, and knock the ball around. So I see against Ireland, he was uh, he scored 35 off, off 37 balls and only hit two boundaries. But if, if, they could predict that, that weather was going to come. Do you really think, you know, Liam Livingston would have come in at, at number eight or sorry, number seven? I mean, I mean, no. So, obviously, there's going to be weather forecast around, and they, and they you know, should they have maybe preempted um, that that was going to come? But yeah, it, it wasn't a good batting performance. Um, and actually, I think England over the last couple of months in 2020 cricket, have struggled chasing. And I think that's definitely going to be something that um, opposition are going to to use against them, I think. I think if you win the toss and you know there's no weather around, you're going to bat first and put the pressure on England and see how they get on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the key problem. And I'd be interested to see, Matt, your views on this. Um, England's lineup hasn't changed. They've played the same... Same three teams in the in the three games they've played so far in the um, in the Super 12s. And do you think they've got the right balance in the side? Have they got the right se- selection? Obviously, you've talked about Milan potentially moving up and down the order. Obviously, Batting a bit later on. We come on to talk about New Zealand, but does Milan and Stokes, when it comes to that battle line not play the same potential role? And, you know, have we have we, we perhaps? You know what I talked about last week about—is is there too much um, swingers, not not batters in here in this sort of um, sort of lineup, or, they, or do you think they've got the right balance here for a T20 side?
1: Yeah, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that going into the World Cup before that Pakistan series, the way they chopped and changed the team, it didn't really look balanced to me. Um, but right now, I think. There isn't really anyone that I would change. If you were going to change anyone, um, it would be someone like Ben Duckett to come in, and he could replace any one of those batsmen who wasn't in form. Um, bowling wise, obviously, you've got the likes of David Willey again, just a light for light replacement um, if if someone isn't in form. And I I think the way that the the batting lineup is pretty fluid helps them. Um, but I think the one thing. You know, jumping ahead to the, you know, if we're talking about the uh, New Zealand game as well, the one thing they are going to be concerned about is is Ben Stokes' form. Um, but if Ben Stokes makes himself available for, for England in any format, for me, you play him because he's just got that X factor, so to speak, in all three, you know, um, strands in terms of his, his batting, his bowling and his fielding. So, um, if you said at the start of the... The tournament, would Ben Stokes' bowling be his best element for England so far? You, you'd probably think, well, no, probably not, but his, his batting definitely isn't firing. But in terms of, you know, those, those proper cricketers, you know, Ben Stokes can bat that way, but Milan always bats that way. Um, and I think Harry Brook has got the option to bat that way as well. Um, so I, the, the batting side of things, obviously they've, they've had that game washed out. They didn't do great chasing against Afghanistan. They obviously really struggled chasing against Ireland. Um, But then again, Butler and and Hales managed to fire, albeit with a little bit of luck, um, where Butler um, got dropped against New Zealand. But in terms of the actual balance of the side, I think they are playing their best 11. um, And I think it's good that they can have that sort of continuity at the moment. I just worry about them chasing but that's nothing down to the balance of the side I just think that's a mentality thing potentially
0: yeah absolutely okay and as you've mentioned a few times then we're going to move on to the New Zealand game because England versus Australia the game we're all looking forward to uh, got washed out so England versus New Zealand England batted first Butler and Hales got England off to an absolute flyer 81 in fact off the first 10 overs before Hales went for 52 stumped off the bowling of Santner so 52 or 40 balls, between seven fours and one six. Butler was doing what Butler does best, and his 100th international, leading from the front, up the top of the order. And as you wrote, said, there was quite a difficult chance on Williamson that he sort of, he dropped. And then um, I believe he then got dropped by, um, who was it that dropped him on the boundary? Dar- was it Daryl Mitchell? Daryl
1: Mitchell. Daryl Mitchell,
0: yeah. Around 40, it was. So that was another sort of moment there. But then Butler eventually got run out for 73 or 47 balls. He was batting with uh, with Ben Stokes at the time. So got run out there. So it looked like England at some point were going to lose a little bit of momentum. But we then saw some quick-fire knocks of 20 from Livingston and a couple of sixes at the end from Brooke and Sam Curran. And obviously frankly mentioned Dan Milan coming in at number eight. So England eventually got to 179 for six of their 20 overs, and he thought actually that had been quite it's quite a good score to defend. But obviously, bear in mind New, New Zealand um, have been one of the sort of good performers so far in this tournament, with uh, Glenn Phillips in particular helping New Zealand uh, in their last game against Sri Lanka when they slipped. I think it was around eight for four. He goes on to scoring a match innings 100 to get them over the line. So New Zealand's uh, have got the have had the batters here to bat well but Adam went early so did Conway Williamson was 40 or 40 balls and then obviously Glenn Phillips was a little bit of the threat at the period of time. 62 off 36 and we saw um wokes pick up two Curran pick up two Stokes with one wicket Wood with one and they eventually um only got to 159 for six. So good bowling at the death from Wood and Sam Curran in particular. Really impressive how well he's bowled, particularly at the death, Matt. And uh, England won by 20 runs in what almost was quite a close game, but England managed to see the job out completely, didn't they?
1: Yeah, it was it was wickets at the right time for me. Um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of momentum. I'd say it looked like it was lost. Um, when Butler was set um, with only sort of two overs to go, three overs to go, um, and a really good piece of fielding that ended up running him out, you just suddenly thought, oh, that might just sort of dampen um, England's, not necessarily the chances, but their chances to get a really big score. Um, but like you say, you know, if you look at the scorecard, it doesn't look like much, but Harry Brook, you know, and Sam Curran only faced three balls each. And one of those balls went for six. Um, and actually Sam Curran's was was a really, you know, really good shot. Harry Brooks just looked like a little flick off his legs um, and managed to sail over the rope. But again, Livingston looked, you know, fairly dangerous. Picked up twenty. I was just a bit disappointed with how he got out. Um, so obviously, he played a really good ramp shot of Lockie Ferguson to find a leg, and then tried it again, and then in the next ball and got bowled. But um, at the end of the day, that's that's how he's going to play. He's, you know, a bit Kevin peterson esque isn't he? That he's just going to see it and, and play it how he wants, but. Like I say, a wickets um, at the right time. Um, I think Moen Alley is probably absolutely counting his lucky stars that Glenn Phillips didn't get them over the line because that's possibly one of the worst drop catches I've ever seen. Um, whether we can call it a drop, I don't know because uh, didn't even get anywhere near it. Yeah, so it, it looks to be a bit of a situation where coming towards the end of there with about five overs to go and, and New Zealand only needing 55, 56 at one point, you think with wickets in hand, they were looking quite dangerous, but England just managed to strike at the right time. Um, And obviously picking up the wickets of sort of Mitchell and Phillips all quite close together. And, you know, you mentioned momentum for England, George, but that really knocks the stuffing out out of them. So um, some really good bowling by Curran, Wood and Wokes. Um, Obviously, Sandler came out um, and and scored a few towards the end, but at that point the game had, had gone really. So, um, Like I say, the bowler, the bowling unit seems to be working well, and it is quite nice that it's not always, um, you know, it's not we're not relying on the same people. Um, Again, the fact that they could sort of choose, you know, we had seven different bowlers in that game, um, just keeps the variety. And like I say, if you look back at the team, we talked about balance a minute ago. If you look back at the team, the batting lineup has been different every time. So for teams necessarily like sort of making plans for England in terms of their bowlers of how they're going to play them or how they're actually going to bowl at England's batters. The fact that it does appear to be quite a fluid lineup is is only a strength for England. Um, but I just hope that if they do have to chase at the weekend in a crucial game against Sri Lanka, um, the batting fires, George.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? And I think England's got to hope that sort of happens and that sort of takes place. Because at the moment, they are currently... If, if it, nothing was to change and that was the final game, they'd be going through on, on net run rate. They've got three teams at the moment. They're all leveled on five points. But you'd probably imagine if the fixture's remaining in Group 1, we would probably would expect um, New Zealand to go through. And it'd be then either um, Australia or England to make that final sort of place, wouldn't it, really, you would say. Ultimately, Ireland are playing New Zealand. you expect New Zealand to win that. Australia versus Afghanistan, you, expect, you would expect Australia to win that. So it is a must-win game, in fact, really, isn't it, for England against Sri Lanka on um, Saturday at eight o'clock at Sydney, really, me, isn't it?
1: Yeah, like I say, the fact that um, it's in New Zealand's hands themselves, really, they know if they beat Ireland are they're, they're pretty much guaranteed that, that spot. Um, but like I say, you know, Ireland definitely aren't, you know, a pushover, they've managed to beat West Indies and England um, in this World Cup. They, they know it's probably going to be their last game. So it's their last chance to to sort of put themselves out there, really. So they still have a very, very slim chance um, of, of qualifying, but they need an absolute miracle result in terms of turnover, net run rate. But again, at least they've got something to play for. Um, and then obviously the Australia-Afghanistan game. Australia are currently the ones that who are missing out um, before the game starts in terms of their net run rate. And that's a lot of it is down to that that really poor defeat they had um, at the start against New Zealand. But you'd like to think they're going to be quite confident um, coming out and, and trying to put a really um, big performance in against them. So, England have got to be preparing for the game like as a must-win one anyway, you, you, you've got to think. But... Uh, Sri Lanka's is not an easy one. I think in the, in those conditions, England would would back themselves to beat them. But you know, Sri Lanka coming off the back of an Asia Cup win, and it's one of those sides that are very, you know, they're, they're very hit and miss, aren't they? And you you, you don't know which one's going to turn up. So, like I say, I think if if England had the chance to to you know pick and pick and choose, they'd they'd want to bat first and put on a big score and rely on the bowling to try and negate um, Sri Lanka's batting.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And obviously it could get quite interesting. You know, we've talked quite heavily in this podcast uh, this evening about the weather, you know. Imagine this, New um, Zealand's game gets called off, no result because of weather. Um, Australia's game gets called off because of no result weather. And Sri Lanka end up beating England that's three teams end up on six points, you know. That that could be a really interesting sort of finish to some extent, you'd, you'd perhaps said, but unfortunately it would come down to one rate on who would go through. But on the flip side then, we haven't really touched on much on the second group, and that's, that's, even, that's to some extent even a little bit more tighter, isn't it, with India, South Africa, Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, Pakistan, and the Netherlands. And obviously we've got Pakistan versus South Africa going to take place... Uh, tomorrow, so that's going to be an interesting game to watch, and if obviously South Africa win that, they're going to be going uh, a long way to getting their hopes of qualifying. Uh, Pakistan, that's a must-win game, they want to keep their chances alive of trying to qualify, but ultimately within that second group it looks like it's probably going to be India and South Africa, isn't it? Can you pick out any key highlights from their stats sort or of group stages?
1: And um, We spoke about it last week, but but Kohli's knock um, against Pakistan was was unbelievable really, isn't it? And I just think that he uh yeah. as as a batsman who's in wide ball cricket, chasing down a score is his stats are uh, utterly ridiculous. And it's a shame that Nick isn't with us tonight, because I'm sure he'd be able to tell us all of them. But um I think South Africa are sort of doing South Africa things and going very much under the radar. They've gone under the radar with their test match cricket as well, I'd say. Um and they've been a bit of a you know, a surprise, so to speak. But, you know, really, they're, they're, they're already ranked third in the world. So, shouldn't we be that shocked? I've been really disappointed in Pakistan. Um, I was hoping that they were going to do quite well. I know last week I managed to predict that absolutely every team would win. So, um, I've, I've obviously got all bases covered, George. But, um, yeah, like I say, India are looking good. Um, it would take an absolute disaster for them not to qualify. Um, so, their final fixture... Obviously, they've got Zimbabwe. So, um, Although you don't tell Steve Kirby this one, but obviously they're, they're going to be big favourites to win that one. So, like I say, they're looking like they're going to take top spot um, and they'll obviously play the team that finishes second in England's group. Um, but saying that, you know, South Africa, they've only played three games, so they could easily um, overtake them as they have got a better net run rate at the moment. So, again, it, it, just, it just goes to show that the way the format is, even if there weren't weather-affected games, the way that it's six into two does make it almost every game matters. There aren't many dead rubbers and um, it keeps everyone interested. So, yeah, if, if we were going to make a prediction, I think India and South Africa are, are good from Group 2. Um, and then if we're looking at the weekends, I'm hoping... Um, it's going to be New Zealand and England. I think New Zealand will have enough for Ireland in a game that they have to win. Um, I think Australia will beat Afghanistan and it'd be interesting to see how much pressure they put on England in terms of net run rate because if if they jump ahead, um, is that going to affect the way England have to play? So it's going to be an exciting one. Um, But I think all the teams that need to win will win i don't think there'll be any shock results um and it's just going to come down to how much australia do beat afghanistan by um and then obviously how that affects what england have to do but i think england would like to know that you know they definitely um you know that they know what they need to do going into that game my weather app has told me the weather for sydney is absolutely fine on saturday george so there shouldn't be any problems for england um, and then in terms of Adelaide on Friday, uh, what's it saying? Yeah, again, it's it's all looking fine. So it's actually going to come down to cricket and not weather, which is obviously what we've been calling for.
0: Yeah, actually. And of course, if obviously England do go on to manage to beat Sri Lanka, we probably would expect them to probably qualify second in the group, wouldn't we? So out of the two that we're perhaps predicting them from group two, it just high hypothetically, into South Africa, who do you think England would rather face?
1: Um, that's a good question. I think... Oh, who would they rather face? I, I mean, it's much for much less, isn't it? At the end of the day, I think if you're going to get to a semi-final of a, of a world competition, you're not going to be too bothered about who you face because ultimately... You've got the four best teams at the time um, that are there. I, I probably fancy our chances of beating South Africa more. I, I don't know why. I just, I just feel that. Um, obviously, we had that that series over here against them. Um, there was a good contest. Uh, I just never, feel, I just never feel very confident. Playing against India, but if we were going to play them outside of England, um, over in Australia, would probably be where I'd choose to play them. Um, but if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna make a prediction, I mean I'm wrong every time, George. So if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to me, put your money on the opposite. But I'm going to go for New Zealand, South Africa semi final, and an England India semi final.
0: And indeed, we will obviously look forward to seeing whether that prediction is right in our show next week. Obviously, all to do for England on Saturday, need to get over the last line though first and beat Sri Lanka. Um, just want to close this evening, Matt, with a little bit of, um, well, news that I, I sort of found last week after we finished recording our show last week. And it come, comes from actually Cricket Scotland, in fact. And I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, The new sort of cricket... Scotland chairman An- Anjar Lufra has perhaps suggested that he's planning to approach England and Wales cricket board about potentially trying to get Scotland to feature in the T20 blast and potentially in the 100 format. Um, hopefully from 2024 when the county kind of cricket season is restructured, and then eventually it could even lead on to you know the rural one day uh cup. But obviously, the priority would be the blast. What are your thoughts on maybe Scotland playing in that county setup? Obviously, first of all, that's really good exposure for cricket Scotland because they continue to shine well on the international stage.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it is not its an interesting, interesting one. If I'm right in thinking, it's it's happened before, hasn't it? In terms of fifty over cricket, and there was also the the unicorn side. Was it? Is that what they were called? And um, yeah, I, I can see why. I can see definitely why they want to be involved. Not purely because obviously the more games they play, the better they're going to get. But also they're going to think about the financial situation. Uh, if they do get a place in the hundred, can I come down to Somerset when that decision's announced? Just to see the reaction if they get a place over over the West Country.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you, yeah. I mean, that is the big question, though, isn't it? But, but all, all
1: joking aside, with that, if if they are going to do that. If if the ECB, obviously we know the hundreds here to stay, whether we agree with it or not. Whether the ECB then do offer out more franchises, I think there will be more franchises. And I think that's naturally the way it would go. And that's what obviously happened with the IPL. But then if they're gonna go down the more franchise route, then they're Starting to already shoot themselves in the foot a little bit because they've already they've gone down the franchise route because there's apparently too many counties, so it's an interesting one. Um, would I like to see Scotland take part? Yeah, why not? I think it'd be quite nice. Um, again, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they get on, and the only the, only, the way it means is obviously then it's it's nineteen counties. Um, rather than the 18, and it just means that the way the groups are split up is, is a bit different. But um, I can see why, like I say, I can see why they definitely want to do it in terms of their exposure. Um, you know, if you if you're a, a young lad growing up in Northern Scotland and you you want to play some cricket, the furthest you know you're going to get to go and watch any decent standard is, is Durham, um, and you know. So that's an awful long way to go, so but there's there's definitely scope for it. Um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. And I mean, I was just thinking back to when you mentioned the unicorn side, obviously, they were formed for the Clydesdale Bank uh 40 over competition and they they sort of played from you know 2013, 2014, and also then they would later then go on to play in 2018, obviously, in the second second 11 competitions. But in that period of time, I really quite enjoyed it. You know, you had the Unicorns, you had Scotland, you even had the Netherlands playing as well, which was quite exciting and then, in the English domestic competition. I just think, yeah, why not? If, um, at the end of the day, we're all about thinking about growing cricket and growing cricket in the good level. And I mean, if that, if that I suppose that helps create Scotland out and gets them that better exposure, playing playing that bit more competitive cricket from better formats, because not, not all Scottish players as such are playing in county cricket. Then yeah, why not? I'd even be open to opening that offer up to Ireland if they wanted to put a team in. But I think then are we moving more more away to what we're looking at ultimately? Would that would would a cricket Scotland team would that would that create more competition and make and make the T twenty blast even a bit more stronger, do you think?
1: I think it would. I think if you've got, you know, if that's that Scotland side that did all, all right in the qualifiers, if you put them in against Uh, A lot of the county sides, I mean, anything can happen in 2020 cricket anyway, as we've seen. Um, They're by no means the weakest side out out of those. So, um, yeah, my only argument behind it is that, you know, we've already got four formats and an awful lot of franchises, counties, etc. And um, there's already an awful lot of cricket. So is it going to make... Even more, um, I know we both don't don't agree with the fact that the, the fifty over competition has already become a bit um, second nature in terms of well fourth nature um, in terms of you know the the priorities. So that's going to be the only thing that might hold them back um, to go another country slash county into that system. <laughs> is it going to make it even more compact and even more difficult
0: to schedule? Potentially. And again, a question, luckily, it's not for us, that's for the ECB <laughs> and people who decide. Um, Matt, thank you very much for your company as always. I will. I think you'll probably deserve a nice, well-earned break and probably a week or two away from having to speak to me. So thank you very much for always for your contributions. Look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure and always enjoy talking if it's not football,
0: it's going to be cricket. Thank you very much. So you have been listening to Let's Talk Cricket here on Free Valleys Radio. All our all our attention will obviously go to focusing on seeing whether England can make it through to the semi-finals in the World T20 Cup in Australia. We will be back at the same time next Thursday for another edition. But that is all time from us. Goodbye for now.